left the north, I travel south I found a tiny house and I can't help the way I feel Really so strange from the album Loud of the Moms. That was the power pop combo, The Smiths, as if I would start with anything else. I'm David Eastall, and this is the C86 show. Welcome once again to another thrilling ride, as I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't, and some you should, always playing the finest in indie pop from that golden decade as I cross time, space and genre. And this week, as I always like a special guest, is going to be Sean Dixon from The Soup Dragons, and also now known as Hi-Fi Sean. So I'm going to be bringing you that quality chat alongside the usual quality music and much, much more. But um, because we're a little bit rushed for time, because I've only got 60 minutes, I think we should play, yes, my favourite, your favourite. Well, it's not completely, but it's the best known song that they did. This is I'm Free. Don't be afraid of your freedom. 
granddaddy come These are the words being from my granddaddy If you say nothing in this world like when a man know him free Free from the lock, I miss say free from the key Free like a butterfly, free like a bee These are the words being from my granddaddy Said it's nice to be free, nice to be free Free from the lock, I miss say free from the key Don't be afraid of your freedom Cause I'm free
Indeed, that was all very excitable. That was the Inspiral Carpets with a track called She Comes in the Fall from the album Life. And before that, it is our special guest, the Soup Dragons, with the track called I'm Free from the album Love God. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show. A little bit later, I will tell you how you can contact me if you so wish. But this week's special guest is Sean Dixon, frontman or ex-frontman with the Soup Dragons, now a uh, DJ referred to, or he calls himself Hi-Fi Sean. So I've got that interview, which is cut up into about five, six easy-to-digest little segments for the rest of the show. But because there's a lot to pack in, um, I think we should play the next track. And then the first part of the interview, this is going to be your favourite, my favourite, all the way from 1986. What a golden year that was. This is Hang Ten. and roll the 80s it might have been grim but we had some great tunes anyway that was the the, uh, soup dragons with hang 10 from the album hang 10 that came out and got to number two in the indie charts and let's face it if you were hip and groovy and um or not you know the indie charts was everything and we just pretended the mainstream didn't exist and it was quite easy because you only have to watch top of the pops to realize how hideous it was but that's just my opinion anyway look this week's special guest is going to be sean dixon from the soup dragons and this is going to be the first part of the interview when I talk about John Peel, obviously, because we always talk about John Peel. But uh, there was a documentary that uh, John Peel made. I think it was The Sound of the Suburbs, where he went up to Scotland and met Sean. And uh, we talk a bit about that meeting and the importance that John Peel had on the Soup Dragons. Listen to this. It's fascinating. Yeah, that, 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 was, um, that, was, that was actually quite a good few years 
after C86. That would have been, oh God, that was like late 90s when he came to Belsall. Yes, I think um, it was much long later, because I think you were just looking back and being kind of amazed when you were walking around your old... Yeah, I'll, t- I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a funny story about it, actually, when he came up to Belsall, because um, going right back to before C86, we released a flexi-disc, um, which John Peel played a lot, and also it got NME Single of the Week, which was quite unusual for a flexi-disc to get that. And... Um, I, I, I was staying at home with my parents and, and my mum said, oh, there's somebody from the BBC on, on the phone, and, you know, because it was before mobiles. And um, I pick up the home phone and this girl goes, hi, I'm from the John Peel uh, show and John would like you to, to come down and do a session. Now, I, I'd literally just turned, I think I was 16, turning up nearly before I was 17. And... Um, uh, I said, well, there's a slight problem. The four of us don't have any money to actually get down there. And she said, let me speak to John and I'll phone you back. And then she phoned me back and said, um, are you around next Saturday? Because John's DJing at Glasgow University. Would you go along and meet him? And I went along to meet John, went up and said, hi, John, I'm Sean out Soup Dragons. And he turned to me and he said, hey, I want you to do my session. I heard you can't come down. And he reached in his pocket, pulled out his wallet and gave me £150 and said, will that get you down to London because I want you to do the session. And all those years later when he came to Bellsell for that television show that you're talking about, um, I gave him back the £150. (laughs) That's amazing. But being John Peel, he wouldn't take it. So I ended up having to, because he had his car, so I ended up hiding it down the side of his passenger seat and then telling them later, because, you know, there was that thing about handing and he'd give me it back and I'd go, oh, no, take it, no, no, I'll take it back, no, take it. So I just hid it down the side of his, uh, his uh, car and then <laughs> told him later, you know, by the way, there's 150 quid down there. But, uh, yeah, he was a special man. I miss him a lot. Yes, oh, well, God, I know, we all do, actually. It's quite horrendous. But, um, yeah, so, obviously, you know, that was kind of amazing. And also, I remember talking to the lead guy from the BMX Bandits, who sort of, I didn't know this, but you were you, you're sort of, you almost made the sort of band of the year and single of the year by the enemy before you hardly started as well. Yeah, 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 it was all, it was, it was, it was kind of crazy in those days before social media because... People genuinely every you know every Wednesday or was it Thursday would go out and buy these you know the music papers they were our bible with John Peel and Janice Long you know it was like it was like a kind of two way association between late night radio one and the music papers and that that governed our world you know we were just like a small town outside Belsill and to suddenly overnight be part of that whole thing was kind of like completely insane especially when you're like 16 17 um to be suddenly kind of like oh my god you know the, these things that i've been following for the last few years i'm now part of that whole circus and um and you know and that's why i always say those uh, you know you always get people going oh why did the early soup dragon records sound different to the later ones it's basically because we 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 didn't have much kind of um you know, we, we weren't great musicians. We had great ideas, but we weren't great musicians. And that's what makes those records special is because there's one thing you can't bottle, and that's youth. And those records from that period are 100% youth 
and a 100% naivety towards everything, not just music, everything. And that's what those records, you can't make records. Like you can't go out your way to make naive, youth-filled records. They only happen, and that's why I'm proud of those records. You've got to realise in those days also, sorry to butt in, but those days also music was much less genre-specific. These days, because of the world we live in being digital, everything's all playlists and all completely genre-specific, which I really hate because the great things are when the things cross over and all the little things that fall in between genres. Now, John Peel was the classic non-genre-specific show. The NME in those days was non-genre-specific, and that's why C86, to, to come right to that actually became quite an iconic album because it was actually quite wide and you, you know you can't really put all those bands together and say this is one sound what it is though is a period of time it's 1986 and that's what was happening in this country and the underground indie scene in 1986 now you can't do that now because everything's so genre specific everything has to be channeled towards the people that buy that kind of stuff and indie is no longer indie indie is just corporate now indie is just made to fit people who you who are into the music called indie it never used to be a genre indie it was just the fact that you were on an independent record label that you were called indie indeed i hope you're paying attention i will test you at the end of the show that is the first part of my interview with sean dixon from the soup dragons as we talk about obviously john peel and the musical landscape of that time this is david Eastall. this is the c86 show and this is going to be another track by the soup dragons this is divine theme Oh, 
right and stuff there. That is a divine thing. From the album Hot Wired by the Soup Dragons, all the way from 1982, when dance music, Britpop, it was all flowing into one holistic love fest indeed. Anyway, David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, we always love your messages. You can via Facebook, Twitter, just go to at C86 Show and I will be there. And talking of which, um, yes, this is the second part of my interview with Sean Dixon, where we talk about that compilation, yes, C86, that came out on the NME, or with the NME, put together by Neil Taylor and Roy Carr, who sadly passed away very recently. Anyway, this is the second part, and this is where Sean talks about the importance of that iconic cassette. You've also got to remember it was a, it was a bit like a mixtape from Neil as well. It was Neil's snapshot of what he thought was exciting on the underground. And God bless him for that. You know, it wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Neil. And, and you know, Neil, Neil was... You know, such a great guy to meet in those days, and you know, and he, you know, I came down to London, and I was with Norman, but Norman wasn't in the teenage fan club then. He was just like, you know, hanging out as a friend. And we came down to London, and I'd done my first ever NME interview, and I came down with um, what I didn't know at the time of chicken pox, and so did Norman. Oh right. Basically, brought this chicken pox from Glasgow down to London and I spoke to Neil last year and he got chicken pox after we went back and everybody got chicken pox in London so we, so there you go C86 there's a connection chicken pox <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely it's strange isn't it yes these things do spread around so obviously when you all formed this is probably you were just all mates at school in, in the same town yeah kind of half and half it was it was all round based round you know, we weren't at the same school. You know, I was, I was, I wasn't, I wasn't even Bell Cell Norman and out the fan club in Douglas City being expanded. They were at the other school. I was at the Catholic school, and um, we just kind of got together through our love of music. And you know, in those days, once again, you know, to say, you know, before social media, you kind of clocked people by the way they looked, or the way they dressed, or the way they acted. So you kind of like looked at somebody and thought, right, they kind of must be into the same thing as me. And I think Norman did that with me because I used to I used to get have guitar lessons on a street that Norman actually lived on, and he used to see me on a Thursday night with a guitar go down to this guy's house, and I think that he caught on right. He plays guitar, so he's kind of cool, and and I caught Norman because he always had these kind of tartan trousers, which I thought were a bit bunky. So. I he must be cool. And then Norman introduced me to Douglas, and that's when all the craziness started when the three of us got together. And we decided, you know, we, we used to record albums in our bedrooms in a day, and we used to uh, put concerts on under different names. We used to invent a band every few weeks and put up a concert on. And then um, we used to do a, like busking in Glasgow on a Saturday afternoon to make drink money. You know, you'd go there and you'd play you know, Velvet Underground songs and Jimi Hendrix songs to uh, grannies out shopping on a Saturday afternoon uh, with Douglas singing, um, you know, which was quite a spectacle. And we'd come home with like, you know, 20, 30 quid each to buy a drink and have a good time that weekend. And, um, and then I met the Soup Dragons via one of the other group of people that were busking. And I met somebody, I met Jim McCulloch and... And then I, went, I used to go to Glasgow Art School a lot, to a lot of the parties. And I met this guy, he was called Ross, and he was the singer of a band. But I thought he had the coolest haircut. And I said to him, do you play drums? And he went, no. And I went, oh, I went, I really need a drummer for my band, but you've got a really... So basically, 
he started playing drums in the Soup Dragons. He never played drums before just because he had a cool haircut. And that's how Ross ended up joining the Soup Dragons. <laughs> and then Cecile, we met through, through um, we had another guitar. Well, actually, it was before Jim was in the band. We had a guitarist, Ian. And Ian lived in Bears Den and he knew Cecile. So Cecile got on board and Cecile had a fanzine called Pure Popcorn. And that's where the flexi disc came from, which cost £35 to record and make. And we put it out. And as I said, two weeks later, it was single of the week in the NME. Excellent. And it was insane. It was like John Peel played it a few days later, you know. And I remember hearing it because I used to listen to the John Peel show. And oh, here we are, Zoo Dragons. And he played our track. It was just like all of a sudden, that little bedroom mentality that you had suddenly became like it was on radio it was just it was insane and to be honest I think that's where I suddenly got completely obsessed with hearing my songs on radio which has never left me I still get a complete and utter rush out of um out of radio I love hearing music that you've made come out of this thing that comes out in everybody's house. It's just amazing. It is, yes. And obviously the, the, the next song or the next single was the the one that came out, which is Whole Wide World, which which really sort of um, also sort of, you know, I remember John Peel playing and and, um, and you must have just, I mean, did you get that single together quite quickly? Yeah, well, the, the story goes, we actually had a single coming out on Subway, which was the label Shop Assistants were on. And it was a four-track EP, and I, and I never really had any concept that the, the more time you put on a seven-inch record, the worse quality it becomes, you know, like the Bohemian Rhapsody thing. And um, we recorded a four-track EP, and the cutting was absolutely awful sounding. We got the test pressings, and it was just like, it was just so bad. So we phoned up the guy and said, no, listen, we need to do We need to cut this again or something. And he went, oh, I've pressed up a 1,000 copies. And it was like, well, it's not coming out. So that's how we kind of fell out. You know, we, we didn't fall out, but we got, you know, he just, he said it wasn't coming out, but he ended up selling them, you know, off the back of a lorry or something, or, you know, at gigs or whatever. But so I kind of then got, I was then explained that, you know, if you're going to have like seven or eight minutes on a seven inch, it's not going to sound good. So I went the opposite way. I thought, right, I'm going to write the shortest song ever to put in a record. So I wrote Whole Wide World, which is one and a half minutes. And I thought, well, if it's one and a half minutes, it'll be the loudest record ever. And I even went one a one step further. I got it cut on a 12-inch. And there's a 12-inch of whole wide world. The A-side is one and a half minutes. And I remember going to the cutting room and the guy was just like, are you insane? And I'm like, why? And he goes, you can't put one and a half minutes in a 12-inch. And I said, who says? So we cut it so that the grooves were really wide. <laughs> So, so it kind of looked like you were getting value for money, but it still only filled up about a third of the vinyl. But it's the loudest record ever. And I was so proud of that. It was like I went from having the quietest record ever that never came out, and our first official single was the loudest record. But I remember somebody in a fanzine worked out that the three tracks in that 12-inch, um, because they added up to something like four and a half minutes, the three tracks, because they were all really short. And he worked out how much it cost him per penny for the music for buying a 12 inch. Part two of my interview with Sean Dixon from the Soup Dragons and uh, talking to flexi discs and uh, fanzines and stuff like that. Just to say, there's a new book that's come out on Manchester University Press titled Ripped, Torn and Cut Pop 
politics and punk fanzines from 1976. It's been put together by various editors and um, it's an absolutely page-turning, riveting read. Um, it features something like 18 chapters written by a variety of people, including Claire from Sarah Records. And uh, it is very good. At the moment, it's on hardback, but will be coming out in paperback towards the end of the year. But do check that out because um, it uh, is one of those publications that I've found fascinating over the last couple of days, weeks. So, um, yes, anyway, David Eastall, The CAD6 Show. And as he was talking about Whole Wide World, I think we should play the song. Here it is. Sweet. That's the great thing about indie pop. It didn't used to last for more than two minutes generally, otherwise it would be referred to as prog rock, and we just didn't like that in the 80s. The 70s, fill your boots, it was fine. Anyway, that was probably their first single that came out. Whole Wide World by the Soup Dragons. This is going to be the third part of my interview with Sean Dixon from... Uh, the soup dragons even though they know more and this is where we talk about that tricky period where um things start to fall apart and generally bands last for about five years and then things start to sort of yes the wheels fall off especially if they've um, ever toured america and this is his response to that fascinating question well i mean i mean we did split up after america so i don't know if that's right but you have to have that's because it's an intense six months of being in the back of a, a, a tour van um, how, how, but, but before that, we were we were basically just friends. And the sad thing was, after the album "This Is Our Art," our drummer Ross decided to go back to art school. Uh, he was kind of like, do you know, do you know something. I took I took years out of my, you know, like out of his kind of end of year thing, and he said, and if I don't go back now, I'll never be able to finish it. So he decided, right, you know, you should go back, and you know, and. and you know, and things were a bit kind of... So it was just like Ross went back to art school and I decided to buy a sampler and a drum machine. I ended up going to Acid House Clubs a lot because I was I was kind of... I was kind of dragged into that whole euphoria. Of, and, and to be honest, there was so much energy and it was quite it was quite punky as well. It was, it was slightly more 
it was more underground and punky than anything that was actually ever happening on the indie scene because by that time about 1988 the indie scene became really bland and corporate and all of a sudden there was this all this underground energy so i get sucked into that and that's where that's where the whole kind of period of um love god comes from um the album Love God, everybody always wonders why that's called Love God. It was a complete and utter Prince ripoff because I was completely obsessed with Prince. And on the album, the album with Alphabet Street and all that, he's got Love God, but he's wrote it as two words, Love God. But I just one day looked at it and thought, it looks really good as one word. So I just stole it. I just called the album Love God as a kind of homage to Prince. Um, the thing that annoyed me at the time is we got pulled in with the whole Manchester thing and all that stuff. But if you listen to the album Love God now, there is no other bands from that scene that sound remotely anything like it because there's there's, there's samples from uh, Russ Meyer movies. There's kind of associations with John Waters movies with the with the track Beauty Freak, which is singing about multiple maniacs. There's uh, there's samples from the Head, the Monkeys film. There's kind of like um, garage punk mixed with breakbeats. That you know it, it was it was nothing like those other bands, and and I put a lot of pressure on us because it was like you know suddenly you release something that you actually think is quite unique and like nobody else and the press that's always on your side turns against you so so basically my way of dealing with it was well do you know something bye we're going to america and we went to america we ended up selling millions of records and and to be honest they got it and they never got any of the other bands that we were kind of told we were bandwagon jumping they got us because they saw us for what we were. They didn't see the press inches that came along. So that was at the period of the time where the Soup Dragons kind of disassociated themselves with the British press, the British music press. And um, we did a few albums. We did another album, Hot Wired, which had a song called Divine Thing. Once again, it was a homage to John Waters. Uh, and then that track had like a video that was that was um, A-listed and nominated for an MTV award in America. And that video was actually the first video that had transgender and, you know, transvestites, drag queens, whatever, in the video on daytime rotation in America. It was the first time it ever happened. Uh, so, um, you know, and, and I always remember Iggy Pop at the end of that year saying his favourite video of the whole of 1992 was the Super Dragon's Divine Thing. And that was at the point where I just thought, well, you can't get much better than that and we lasted a few more years and you know we've done a lot of touring in america we we uh we've done some of those kind of big stadium things with in excess we've done things with public enemy we've done things with two tom tom club and and then it just kind of fell apart it just came it became it became a bit like the 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 monster became bigger than us and um, and I started, on, I, I, you know, I took a few years out and then started the band The High Fidelity and recorded with a Bollywood orchestra. And that's part three of my interview with Sean Dixon from the Soup Dragons and also now known as Hi-Fi. Sean, um, if you want to know any more information, you can find it mostly on uh, social media and Facebook and places like that. Probably Instagram. Who knows? That's what... Um, hip, groovy people do, I believe. And um, sometimes I try to keep up with them, but it's often a bit embarrassing. Anyway, look, we've got to uh, squeeze in quite a lot more music and chat before the end of the show. This is another early track by the Soup Dragons. This is titled I Know Everything.
you go. More exciting, youthful sounds by the Soup Dragons, the track called I Know Everything that came out on a Subway record label compilation in about 1989. Anyway, this is going to be the third or fourth part of my interview. Fourth part of my interview with Sean Dixon. See, I'm paying attention. And this is where we talk about the uh, making of their famous and uh, groundbreaking single, I'm Free. And uh, that period of music where where they were crossing over from indie to dance and all that sort of exciting malarkey. Take it away, Sean. Uh, The thing is, we always get associated with the single, I'm Free, from that period, but there was actually a single a year before that called Mother Universe, um, which was quite groundbreaking, a record, and it was getting played in acid house clubs. And this was before a lot of these kind of like mass indie bands were using producers to make their records kind of thing, you know, like using dance producers. This came out like a year before and, um, you know, it was getting Boys Own were playing it and all these people and Terry Farley who, you know, now that I'm a DJ, and that's what I say to people as well, you know, if my heart was truly in that, you know, why would I be DJing now? You know, I wouldn't, you know, it was in my soul to do that kind of thing and have those kind of influences. And that famous quote that the NME said and left one word off to basically try and destroy us, it was just, it wasn't even the NME, it was just this one journalist that does, you know, who didn't like the fact that the Soot Dragons had became top five in the British charts without him saying so, because there was a lot of that, you know, if they, if they didn't, if they didn't create the myth you know, then it was wasn't good. So, um, the, you know, the, the the famous quote: "There's always been a, a dance element to our um, records." I think it was. It was something like, "There's always been a dance element to our records." It was collections. In the interview, I was talking about the fact that we all had record collections that contained Northern Soul, contained disco, contained funk, contained house music from Chicago. So it's like, you know. You know, that's what I was talking about. The fact that, you know, I don't think in genres. I've never thought in genres. The fact that the Super Dragons started as a kind of indie guitar band was just due to the fact of the musicianship. You know, it was in a garage, you know, like when, when, when kids get together and make music, it's going to sound like a scratchy 16 year old guitar punk pop band. That's what happens. It was natural, but as the years went on, you know, you, your, your tastes expand, you hear different things, you know, you're, 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 and I've always been a producer, you know, that's what I do these days, as te- technically I started to learn more how sound puts itself together. And, you know, and all these things that were going on in my head, the records that I wanted to make, you know, the kind of huge Phil Spector style records, suddenly when a sampler became available, I could make those records. And, um, you know, I'm Free. I'm Free was just a day in the studio we had left over at the end of the album. We saw the Stones thing the night before on, uh, on TV. And I said, well, let's do that. And we didn't, and, you know, it was before the internet. So I didn't have the lyrics. I didn't have anything. I just made it up as we went along and didn't have the chords. So the chords are not the right chords. The, the words are, I think 50% of the words are wrong. And all that, you know. Met Junior Reed at a party that night, um, got stoned, said to him, hey, do you want to come to the studio? Came to the studio the next day. Along the side of the studios, it was during the poll tax riots. Somebody had spread, don't be afraid of your freedom. So I just said, he said, what do you want me to do? And I said, just say that at the start of the record. <laughs> so that's where the don't be afraid of your freedom comes. It was spread on it was spread on the studio in Wood Green, because we used to use a studio in Wood Green a lot. Um, and... The gospel choir was Yellow Pages. And the second day in the studio, it was like, let's put a gospel choir on it. And like, how do you get a gospel choir? You pick up Yellow Pages and pick the first gospel choir and phone them up. Excellent. It was made made in a real anarchic, 
kind of non-careerist way. And people, that's what really annoyed me. People's association thinking we were making that record as some kind of career move. It was the least career moved making record ever in history. It was thrown together over three days in the studio. And then I decided S Express, theme from S Express was out then. And I absolutely loved that record. It was the best, you know, it was the best dance record because, you know, a lot of these dance records have more, more alternative angst in it than than any indie record I was hearing at the time because at that time it was just it was just so dreary and down and you know I was going to acid house clubs and everything was like euphoric and high and there was ecstasy everywhere and things and um so I got the guy who made theme from X Express to help me mix it and we spent two I think we spent two days making mixing I'm free because he kept deciding that if he jogged round the block if he run out the studio and jog round the block it would give him a euphoric high to keep mixing it so it went on for about two days. The secret is out. If you want to make a massive global hit, run around the studios endlessly for two days and the magic might just come. Anyway, that was the fourth part of my interview with Sean Dixon. And as he was talking about the Mother Universe from the album Love God, I thought we should play it before the next part of the interview. This is that track. Take it away. Coming down, it's coming down Gonna burn up your brain 
And that's the second track from the album Love God titled Mother Universe. This is going to be the last part of my interview with Sean Dixon where he talks about the end of the Soup Dragons with the album Hydrophonic and what happens next. Sean, take it away. The day it came out, I split the band up. I was just like, I've had enough of this, you know. And um, and as I said, I went back to Glasgow and spent, you know, two years doing nothing and then... And then it all started again with one seven-inch single. Um, I made this track called Addicted to a TV. And uh, <laughs> I remember there was a label called Vinyl Japan. Oh, yes, I remember Vinyl Japan. He phoned me up and he said, do you have any music? Um, and I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I've been, I'm, I'm kind of writing at the moment. But I've done this track. It sounds like uh, it sounds like Bay City Rollers meets the Ramones. And um, he said, can you let me hear it? I played it down the phone to him to, I think he was in Tokyo. And he uh, he said, I love us. And he put it out and it was single of the week in NME and it all started again. Wow. <laughs> God, you love it. Was it. Did it feel a bit like punishment at the time or did you think, no, this is good? No, no, it was good because it was just me and myself and it all started and then I got a band together and... You know, we made the most amazing album called Demonstration, which I'm incredibly proud of, which um, I managed to um, work with a Bollywood orchestra in Bangalore. And I went there. If you go on YouTube, you'll see all the videos. I went to Bangalore and worked to a Bollywood studio. And, and it was, and I made this, the four of us made an amazing album. And I love those guys, um, Adrian, Paul and Ross and and, and um and then we made another album called the Omnicord album because because of my slight obsession with the Suzuki Omnicord. And then I had a bit of a mental breakdown and never made any music for fifteen years, um, which I've talked about a lot in press. I just um, you know had a lot of problems with sexuality and things and came out and um, and I had a complete and utter breakdown. I just decided I couldn't deal with uh, with the concept of making music. Till about two years ago, um, I suddenly realised there was something really missing in my life, and that's what it was. And and I've never been careerist ever. That's the whole thing. The whole, the whole timeline of my my musical life. There's nothing careerist about it whatsoever. And I can say that with my hand in my heart. I'm not a careerist person. I've literally done some of the worst career moves I've ever done, basically because I just follow. And, you know, to say follow your heart sounds corny, but I kind of do follow my heart. I just, I just like, until I hear something that comes over speakers that turns me on, I'm not going to put it out. And and I made this album where I looked through my record collection and thought, I wonder if I ask, you know, 15 people in my record collection, would they make a record with me? Would they do it? And the crazy thing is, they all said yes. And, <laughs> uh, you know, that was the most amazing month I was sending emails to people and sitting at home and, you know, Alan Vega telling you that basically the Soup Dragons, they love the Soup Dragons and it's like these things you never knew. Yes. Alan Vega's just told me he loves the Soup Dragons. It's like, what? Um, and I said to Alan, do you fancy making a record with an orchestra? Because you've never made a record with an orchestra. And he went, yeah. Sadly, as you know, I mean, it's, it's been well documented he died two weeks before the album came out. He was. He loved the track. He was so excited about people hearing a kiss before dying. And in a way, I kind of think he knew. 
the title and the whole the whole lyrical content to that song. But I remember when the whole thing was put together with the orchestration on top, he was really, really blown away. And I remember him saying, I really can't wait to people hear this. And I think it's really sad he never got the reaction back that it did get. Um, but uh, yeah, that, yeah, to move on to current things, that's how you know the album FFT came about. Yes. And what would you, I mean, God, you've had a lot of experience, you've had a lot of life. What would you say to your 18-year-old self, you know, if you'd sort of bumped into them as they were sort of keenly sort of just about to sort of launch themselves into the, the rock and pop and indie rave world? I would say don't change a thing. I would say, you know, do you know something? You're doing it right. Just keep going. You know, you've, you've, you, you're enjoying yourself. That's all that matters. And also there's a, there's a lot of people out there that are going to try and make you not enjoy yourself. Indeed. Just watch those people and avoid them if you can. But anyway, that sadly, dear, dear listener, is the last part of my interview with Sean Dixon from the Soup Dragons and also now known as Hi-Fi Sean. If you want to find out any more information, he is there on the internet and various social media sites. But that is the end. As Jim Morrison once said, I've been David Eastall. Thank you ever so much for listening. Tune in next week. I'll have another special guest. I wonder who it will be. Indeed. Actually, I do know now. But uh, this is going to be a track. That was from the NME C86 cassette. This is Pleasantly Surprised. Have a fabulous week. <laughs>